more hand. How many of you guys love you some Jesus today? Yeah? It's good to uh, have you guys today. If you're a visitor, welcome. Um, we are excited that you guys chose to join us. If, if you're a regular tender, we say the same thing over and over. It's good to be with family. Uh, this is, the, look, and we say this also over and over, this is just a part of what we do. Uh, gathering on Sunday mornings does not constitute as the whole church, amen? What constitutes the church is that we get to do life together. And so encourage you guys to check out the website at Reliance Community Church um, where you can check out life groups and Bible studies to go deeper, um, life groups and uh, kids' ministries and women's ministries and all those things that are going to take you deeper in your faith. So this right here is an encouragement time to send you out to be the church. Amen? And so thank you guys for coming and being part of it today. Uh, today starts... Holy Week with Palm Sunday. I always love Palm Sunday. I don't know if you saw the two twin boys up here, the little ones. I always love when the kids march around because they use the palm branches to celebrate Jesus and sword fight. And kind of two cool things if you ask me, right? And, and so I always love Palm Sunday when the kids come in, but it really symbolizes the start of Holy Week where we kind of see Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He's already victorious because he knows the promise of his father, Amen. So he rides in before the cross even comes, before he's ever arrested and put on the cross. He rides in knowing that victory is already his. Man, I love that. That's confidence right there. He's emboldened by the promises of his father. And so then we go on to Good Friday. I invite you guys to come on Friday. We're going to have just a reflective service come and go and uh, just to kind of reflect on what Jesus did and, of course, Easter celebration next Sunday. So just excited about what God is doing in this holy week. But... Before we get there, before we get to Easter and Good Friday, we wanted to focus our time on John chapter 17. So you guys can flip there. John chapter 17, we'll have the verses up here as well, and we'll get to it here in just a minute. Uh, but we wanted to look at kind of this last prayer of Jesus before he gets arrested and crucified. So, so He's in the garden of Gethsemane, and he's on his face, and he's praying to the Father, and you really get to see the heartbeat of God as Jesus is praying to his Father. You really get to see the heartbeat of the purpose of why Jesus came and why he's getting ready to go to the cross. And it's just an amazing prayer, and so we, we've never really taken time. You know, anytime you get into Palm Sunday, usually, you usually study when Jesus' triumphal entry in, and then Good Friday and Easter, and so we never really get to take a time and just study the prayer that Jesus prayed, knowing that in a few short hours, he was about to be killed. And so we really think that this is a, a really important attribute of we need to study in Scripture of what God is trying to show us during this season of our life. And so um, Matt broke down kind of uh, in chapter 17, verses 1 through 19. He did an awesome job last Sunday preaching the Word. Can we give Matt a hand? Great job, Matt. And he basically talked about the supremacy of Christ. He talked about how we're supposed to be in the world but not of the world. He talked about how we're sanctified by the word of God. So Jesus opens up the whole first section all about that he's the foundation. He's the, he's the, the foundation which we're supposed to be built on, that the word is sanctifying us, meaning that the word is making us holy. It's changing us, transforming us. And, and so the key verse in John 17 is verse 3. And it says this, and this is, everybody say is, eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
So this is the kind of the core of Jesus' prayer, that they would know you as the true God and that they would know me as your son whom you have sent. And this is eternal life, meaning that it's not about that one day we'll enter into eternal life. It means that if you know Jesus Christ, you're experiencing the eternal promises of God. Amen? And so we've said this before in here, but that's why this is so important. We don't come to Jesus for a better life. We come to Jesus because he is life. Amen? And if you're pursuing Jesus because you're just looking for a better life, anybody who's been a Christian for an amount of time will tell you there are ups and downs. Do I hear an amen? But if you come to Jesus because you want life, you will find life. And so this whole premise of John 17 is all about setting that stage before Jesus goes to the cross. And then in John chapter 17, the part that we're going to talk about today, that verse 20 on out, it's all about this identity of unity. Everybody say unity. And so I looked up a definition that I like for unity, and it says this. Unity is a way of combining the parts, of a, uh, the parts in a work. So the parts in a work. So we'll say a parts in a work of a church. A way of combining the parts in a work so that they seem to belong together in oneness. So that they seem to belong together in oneness. Meaning that all of us have this individuality in here, but when we come together as the body of Christ, we're one under the umbrella of Jesus Christ. And so he's passionate about this identity of unity. I like this definition a little bit better. I think I've shared this in here a while back, but it comes from Charlie Brown and the Peanuts cartoon. Anybody like those? All right. And it says this, and you can bring it up on the screen. Lucy demanded that Linus change the TV channels, threatening him with her fist if he didn't. What makes you think you can walk in here and take over, asked Linus. These five fingers, says Lucy. Individually, they're nothing, but when I curl them together like this, into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. <laughs> Which channel do you want, asked Linus. Turning away, he looked at his fingers and he says, why can't you get organized like that, right? <laughs> there is power in unity, amen? There is power in unity. When we come together, God says when we come together, when we come together as the body of Christ, there is power in that. And if you noted something, every time you read in the Gospels or every time you read in the book of Acts or every time you read in Scripture, when the body of Christ came together, there was power that emanated from them. And so God is calling us as a body of believers to say, it is time to rise up in the power that I've given you in my name. This is where we're at. This is what Jesus is praying. Unity is important because disunity brings chaos. Amen? We were on a ski trip last week with our family, and uh, I went, my older brother, my younger brother, Ryan, and we took all of our oldest kids to, to learn to ski for the first time. Let me just tell you, if you're not unified on a brand new ski trip with your kids, it's chaos. Amen? But let me tell you the worst part. Somehow Christy and I got the shaft, and we got all the boys in the minivan with us, all right? So we're driving eight hours to New Mexico, and Christy and I are trying to have a unified front while six boys in the back continue to pee in bottles, all right? <laughs> it was chaos. I'm like, don't get it on the seat. I mean, it was absolutely chaos. But the more that we were unified, the more peace was in that van. The more we were disunified, the more chaos was in that van, amen? You see, the enemy wants us to live in chaos and disunity, and God is always calling us to be a unified people because when a unified people come together, there's power 
in that. If you guys have your Bibles, let's go. John 17, we're going to finish up. John 17 says in verse 20, I'm praying not only for these disciples, because Jesus just spent time praying for his disciples. Now he's praying for all believers. I'm not only praying for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me. Listen to what he says. Through their message. Now that's important, church, because yes, he's talking about the things that he taught them. Jesus is talking about the message of the gospel, the good news of the gospel. But he's also uh, talking to them about the fact that they're going to share their testimony of how he came in and radically changed their life. Ryan said it earlier, every person who's come to Jesus Christ in this room has a testimony. It's why revelation is so important when it says that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. We come in and we find redemption because of Jesus Christ and the word of the message of truth in our life and we leave differently. And the reason that he says that that people will believe in me through their message is because he's saying you cannot refute somebody's testimony, amen? When God changes your life, from how you used to be, to how you were, to how you are now. Nobody can refute that because it's the way that God came in and redeemed you and moved you into a new person, amen? And so he goes on and he says this, I pray, verse 21, that they will be one. Everybody say one. Not two. I don't pray that there'll be three. I don't pray that they will see themselves as individual churches all over, scattered about. I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, I am in you. And may they be one in us so that, underline this, so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. Are you seeing a theme here? I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want those whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. O righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them and will continue to do so. Then, then, everybody say then. Then your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. Church, we could talk about this prayer forever and ever and ever and ever because there's so much to it. But something that I noticed, isn't it amazing that out of all the things that Jesus could pray for before he goes to the cross, out of all the things he's getting ready to get arrested and go to the cross, and out of all the things that he could pray for, he doesn't pray, Lord, let them walk in abounding miracles. Did you notice that? Why? Because Jesus wasn't concerned about miracles in this moment. He didn't pray, Lord, let them be rich beyond measure. Why? Because Jesus wasn't concerned with us being rich beyond measure in this moment. He didn't pray, Lord, let them have an easy life. Because if you've ever been a believer for an amount of time, you know that's not possible. Amen? He said this, let them be unified. Church, this blows me away. Jesus, knowing that the cross is is imminent, understands that the cross is the unifying piece to the brokenness that the world is going to need. That the cross is the unifying piece to the brokenness, knowing that the hour is upon him and, and he's calling us to be unified where we've been divided. Because up until this point, before Jesus goes to the cross, we've been divided from God, right? Because of our sins. 
We've been divided from one another. We've been divided. And so in this moment right here, Jesus is saying, here's what I want you to get. Before I leave, before I go, before I ascend to heaven, I want you to know what it means to be one. No longer broken, but one. Church, as we, as we go through this, this, this is where I think this is important to see the cross. The cross was a place where it was finished. Jesus said it on the cross. He says, it is finished. But it's also a place where it begins. Amen? It's a place where death was defeated, and at that moment it was finished, but it's a place of beginning where once we were a many people, now we are a one, we are one, amen? Where once we were many, now we are one. It's a place of new beginnings for us, and, and maybe the reason he didn't pray for miracles to abound in this moment, and maybe the reason he didn't pray for blessings to abound in this moment, maybe the reason he prayed for unity is because he knew that in the moment that he prayed for unity, that we would become so powerful that miracles would abound, amen? Amen. That would become so powerful in him that we would see blessings abound. So I think it's important to realize that in this moment, Jesus is saying, before I say anything else, before I go any other place, I want you to be one as we are one. There's an old African proverb that says this, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Amen? And church, I believe that God isn't calling us to go fast. In fact, how many times in scriptures does it say slow down, right? I believe that God is wanting us to go far. And the way that we go far is we don't go, don't go it alone. We go, we go together as one. And so let me just start off why I believe this message of unity is so um, important. And then we'll get, get to some issues we've got to work through. If you look at this prayer, there's two huge pieces to this prayer. In his last hours, as Jesus is praying, he really prays really two huge pieces. And the first thing that he says in verse 21 that's huge, he says, I want them to be one as we are one. So, in verse 21, so that the world will believe you sent me. How's the world going to know? How's the world going to know that you sent me? How's the world going to believe in me? How's the world going to know that I'm the Savior of the world? If the church becomes, I'm not talking about a church building, if the body of Christ becomes one as we are one. And then just to make sure that we didn't miss it, he reiterates it in verse 23. So that the world will know that you sent me and, he adds, that you love them as much as you love me. Now right there, some of us out there, that should blow our minds because we don't even feel lovable. And here Jesus is praying that we would know that God loves us as much as he loves him. And so Jesus in this last prayer, God, that they would be unified so that the world will see me. The world will know me. The world will understand who I am. And two, so that they will know that you love them as much as you love me. Listen, church, there is always purpose behind God's plans. Amen? We are not called to unity just because it's a buzzword that sounds good. Let me just tell you, it is. Right now, because of all the division, everybody's thrown out that buzzword of unity. Unity, 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 unity. But it's become such a buzzword that we got to realize something. It's not just something fancy to throw out. It's the heartbeat of God because it's the foundation in which the world will see Jesus in us. It's the foundation in which we come to an understanding love of how much God loves and, 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 and cares about us. And so unity is the heartbeat of God for the world to know him. But let me give you a warning, okay? 
about unity for just a minute. There's a warning when we talk about the issue of unity. And I think there's something that we need to, 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 to talk about when we talk about the issue of unity globally and locally in the church as well that has to be addressed so that we don't fall into the trap that the enemy wants to use against us. Because we know that division is the way of the world. We know that the world is all about division. The, world, the enemy is all about division. We see it on every corner. How can he divide and conquer? He wants to divide and, and conquer your family. He wants to divide and conquer you as a person. He wants to divide your mind and conquer your mind. Look, the enemy is all about division. And we know that God, as we just read, is all about unity. But here's something key. The kind of unity that we rally behind is important. The kind of unity that we rally about behind is important because we don't rally behind a unity of compromise. Amen? We don't rally behind a unity of compromise because at the end of the day, that doesn't get us anywhere. We rally behind the unity that God has called us into. Let me read to you about a unity of compromise that one of the greatest preachers, evangelists, Charles Spurgeon, um, he had a word on this that, that was really powerful. And here's what he says. To remain divided is sinful, he puts in quotation marks. Did our Lord not pray that they may be one as we are one? And yet there's a chorus of church voices that keep harping the same tune of unity. What are they saying? What they're saying is this. Christians of all doctrinal shades, of all beliefs, must come together in one visible organization, regardless of what it is that they believe in. Unite, unite, unite. And then he says this. Such teaching is false, reckless, and dangerous. Truth alone must determine our alignments. And then he says this, which I thought was profound. Truth comes before unity. Unity without truth is hazardous. Our Lord's prayer in John 17 must be read in its full context. In its full context, it talks about sanctify them through, their, through your truth, for your word is truth. You see, church, Jesus spent the first section of John 17 praying that we would be sanctified, washed with the truth of his word first, and that once we come to that washing of the truth of his word, once we understand what he is and who he is and the truth of who he is, then we rally behind a unity with one another under that umbrella, not the umbrella of compromise. You see, church, Satan will try to use what God desires for us in a way that is deceptive. And so God says unity, so Satan says, look, if I can't divide you, then I'm gonna call you into unity. I'm just gonna call you into unity where you're unequally yoked. I'm gonna call you into unity where somebody's gonna bring you down. Just re read the scriptures, all, all through it, there's a warning. Be careful for wolves that are gonna enter in in sheep's clothing to try to detour you from what God wants in your life. And so when we talk about unity, we got to understand that Satan has a desire in that as well. And the unity that we're called to is under the umbrella of Jesus Christ and his word. We don't compromise. So Satan takes that theme of unity, and here's what he says. Compromise your beliefs, man, for unity's sake. Compromise your hearts for unity's sake. Compromise your stance for unity's sake. Come on. Aren't you loving? Anybody ever heard that? <laughs> Aren't you loving? Don't you desire to love one another? And I'm going to tell you right now, the greatest love that we have is the love of Jesus Christ. And that love of truth is the greatest love that we can give. Not a, not, a, not, not a love of compromise, not a love, but the greatest love is to say, man, I have an eternity perspective and not a temporary perspective. 
And I want you to see it from that place. So what Jesus was praying for was unity based out of the truth that God's love, of God's love and common identity in him. So, so if not compromised, then this is a unity out of love. And we see that from the scriptures in verse 23. May they experience such perfect, there we say perfect, perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want those whom you have given, to be, uh, given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see your glory. You have given me because you loved me before the world began. I love it. So you hear Matt say this a lot, but Jesus was always our answer before the beginning of the time. Amen? I love that part. This unity that he's talking about is birthed out of the love of the Father, and it's so important that we get that. So how do we get to that form of unity? Paul talks about this real quickly. Paul talks about this in Philippians. Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. What does it mean that we become one? What does that look like? What's the kind of unity that God is calling us to? Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 4 says this. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? And we all say, well, yeah. Any comfort from his love? If you've ever experienced his love, you go, absolutely. Any fellowship together in the spirit? Absolutely, that's what we're called to. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? They should be. Then he says, then make me truly happy by agreeing, everybody say agreeing, wholeheartedly. You see how everybody kind of dimmed down on that one? Let's try agreeing wholeheartedly. Much better. He says, by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working, here's the difficult one, and working together with one mind and purpose, all right? Working together with one mind and purpose. And I was telling first service, I said, if you've ever been a a part of a church for a long time, and you've had to deal with committees and trustees, you realize that's impossible, amen? Amen. Because you want to move a refrigerator, and these three people don't think you should move it, and these three people say okay, but they don't know where you want to move it to, right? I mean, it's just, it's chaotic. And so, so when we're reading this, and God is calling us to unity, he's not talking to unbelievers, he's talking to believers. He's saying it's time that we change how we are, and we become unified with one another. And so Paul really lays out three components in this scripture verse of what I believe to be godly unity. Number one, he said, agree wholeheartedly with one another. It's a lot easier, church, it's a lot easier to move together as one body when we're in agreement. Amen? The problem with the church today is that is incredibly tough. Because you've got people in this very room who say, well, I like worship this way, okay? And you've got people over here who say, well, I like worship this way. And you've got people over here saying, why in the world are those crazies raising their hand, right? And you've got people over here saying, I want the sermon, the, the, the sermon shorter. And you've got people saying, I want the sermon longer, says no one in this room, right? <laughs> and so you've got all of these just, these, these disagreements in the body of Christ. And here's why. Because in this room, and you've heard us share this before, in this room we have young, we've got old, we've got middle-aged, we've got people from different backgrounds, we've got Baptists and Methodists and non-denomination, we've got Pentecostals in this room, we've got white-collar, we've got blue-collar in this room, we've got people who grew up their whole life in church, and we've got people who've lived in addiction their whole life. And God calls us all into this melting pot right here. And he says, why are you all together right now? You don't have things in common. 
You don't, have to, you don't hang out outside of, of, this, of this room. Why are you all coming in here? And the reason that we all come in here is because we're united under one person, Jesus Christ. Amen? One fellowship, one person, Jesus Christ, crucified, died, coming again, resurrected and coming again. And so the reason that we're in here, how we agree wholeheartedly is that we're all after the same thing. And so we're a diverse congregation. We, yet by God's grace in that diversity, we are one in Christ. And this is what Jesus wants us to get in John 17. Paul is saying that when a diversified church is unified, when white collar and blue collar and Baptists and Pentecostals and Methodists and everybody's together and the world looks in and says, what is it that you have in common? That's when he says the world takes notice and wants what you have. Because nothing else in this life unites us like this. We live in a world of differences and division. Even our age, well, that generation, well, the middle-aged generation, well, they're just old, right? We, we live in a world where we're constantly putting ourselves into these groups. And God's saying, look, when you come into my kingdom, when you come into my presence, when you come as one of mine, you're all brothers and sisters in this thing together. And so when we talk about this agree wholeheartedly, Paul's saying, look, man, we typically want to do life with people in our own stage of life who look like us, who talk like us, who enjoy the same things that we enjoy. And he's saying, look, man, when you're the body of Christ, don't let that become who you are. When we are unified under the word of God, we're unified that all of us are in this mess together and this joy together. Amen? And we do life together. Number two, he talks about loving one another. Real quickly, loving one another. And we, we know this is the, the, the theme of Scripture. We're to love the, the same way that Christ loves us. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. 1 John 4, 7 8. Most of you guys, if you grew up in church life, you had to probably memorize that, right? Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God because God is what? Because God is love. And so not only do we have to agree wholeheartedly, or not only is that our goal to come together under the banner of Jesus Christ, but now we are to love one another. Just a quick side note, um, this kind of unity starts at home, amen? There's a quote by Jim Elliott that I love. He says, the light that shines farthest shines the brightest at home. So all the things that we're talking about needs to start right here in your own home. And I'm not talking about in the church. I'm saying when you go home, in your friendships, if you're married, in your kids, it's time to come together in a unified front. And then number three, real quickly, he says, working together with one mind and purpose. When Jesus was training and teaching his disciples, he had one focus, glorifying God, glorifying God and making sure that people knew that he was the way to the Father. Now church, that's profound when you think about it. And I was thinking about what does this mean to work together with one mind and one purpose. And one of the things that God showed me is I heard somebody say recently about the church, they said, um, you know, and they ask you this a lot at pastors, things that I go to, they go, if your church were to disappear from the community tomorrow, would people notice, all right? 
And then you're supposed to reflect on that. And then they ask the follow-up question with that. Have we impacted the neighborhood in such a way that it would actually matter? And I love it. I love when, you know, you get challenged with that. But, but I don't see the church as what happens in these four walls, right? And so today, I, I want to change that. The better question would be, if you were to disappear from your workplace tomorrow, if you were to disappear from your school tomorrow, if you were to disappear from your clubs tomorrow, would people notice have you, the church, impacted your communities and your workplaces and your families and your schools? Have you impacted to a place where if you were to disappear, somebody would take notice of that? Because when we come together with one mind and one purpose, our one mind, our one purpose is that we help people find identity in Jesus Christ. Purpose in Jesus Christ. There's a picture that I got when we were praying for this last Thursday, and uh, it brought me to the mighty Mississippi River, okay? Can you show that picture of the mighty Mississippi River? This is what the mighty Mississippi River looks like at its start. So you've got this huge river that we're going to look at here in just a minute, and we, right there, all right, perfect, you can go back. You've got this huge river that looks like this, now go back to the first first slide, that started like this. So here's a fact on the Mississippi River. Listen to this. The Mississippi River begins as a trickle flowing out of a lake in northern Minnesota. From there, the river flows 2,348 miles until it pours into the Gulf of Mexico. The Mississippi River drains 33 states and is a watershed that covers one half of the nation. Yet, even though it starts off as a small little stream, the more further that it goes down, other streams flow into it. So you get one stream and another stream and another stream and another stream, and all of these streams are converging on this one stream that it started with. And then go to that second picture, and it becomes a place that changes the culture, changes the environment, changes workplaces, changes the nation. There is nobody that drives by the mighty Sippy River that doesn't take notice of it. It stands out. Why? Because one little stream didn't stay by itself. All the streams converged in on one another. Amen? And when that one little stream converged with the other one, it brought life into it. And when the other stream converged in, it brought life to it. And every one of you are a stream that brings life into the body of Christ. And the more that you converge on one another, instead of being a small, tiny, tiny stream that nobody can even put a boat on, you can become a mighty, rushing river that changes everything. This is the kingdom of God. This is what it means to be unified in the way that Christ gets down on his knees and he says, I pray that you would be unified as one. Why? Because everybody takes notice of that. But when you're a stream trying to do your little thing by yourself, doing it your own little way, maybe you affect one person. And that's great. But Jesus knows the impact that we can have together. Last story. So, um, and you, band, you guys can come on up if you want. So, uh, Cindy's Hope, you guys know we support a gal named Cindy who has an orphanage over in Kenya. It's a great ministry. She comes a couple weeks ago and she says, I got to tell you about something that's happening that God has just pulled my heart into and, and, and we're going to support her in this. But she said, I got to tell you about a story that God has pulled my heart into. And we're like, yeah, absolutely. Sit down. And she starts telling us. She says, God is calling me to Rwanda. And the only thing that I know about Rwanda growing up in the 80s and the 90s is that it was war-torn and genocide was rampant. Amen? 
all that I remember about Rwanda is turning on the news or seeing movies about it where people were literally killed by the hundreds of thousands and millions. Why? Why? Because they were from different tribes. One tribe said we're better, the other tribe was, was less than them, and this tribe that said we're better just simply slaughtered the other tribe. So all I remember of Rwanda is it's the most dangerous place in the world. So fast forward, Cindy comes in and says, hey, over the last couple of years, a new president has come up in Rwanda, and he's a believer. And this president is changing the landscape of Rwanda. And so she was telling us about it. She said, the first thing that he did is he outlawed. You cannot say what tribe you're from. We're all Rwandans. It's illegal to say what tribe you're from because we're all one people. This began to change the landscape of the community, corruption and everything else that was taking place. Then he goes into the jail cells. He partners with a ministry over there. He goes into the jail cells. These prisons that are packed with men and women that were the men and women who committed the heinous crimes of slaughtering people. And he says, look, I want to let you out of prison. But here's what I need you to do. I need you to write a confession note that you killed people. I want you to confess, and I want you to confess of the people's names that you killed, because these were people in communities together. I want you to write down who it is that you killed. And he says, and then I want you to take that confession, and I want you to go to the victim's families of the person that you murdered, and I want you to repent to them and ask for forgiveness. And if you do that, I'll let you out of prison. And then he said, I'm going to set up these seven villages. There's seven, and they're called reconciliation villages. This is like totally out of the Bible. And he sets up these villages, and he calls them reconciliation villages. And he says, I want the perpetrators and the victims to live side by side, and I want you to do life together like you're one. And so Cindy comes in, and she says, and they've asked me to start schools up in these seven reconciliation villages. Would y'all partner with me? And I said, absolutely. Why? Because that's the kingdom of God. Victims, perpetrators who killed their family members living side by side in reconciliation, not saying that what they did was right, forgiving them for what they did, living unified under one umbrella that we're all Rwandans and no longer tribal. And I'm asking myself, my goodness, what would that look like if we, the church, adapted what Jesus has been telling us, that we're not all different from these different scopes, but we're all one people under the umbrella of Jesus Christ. And our mission, you know what our mission is? Reconciliation. You see, Rwanda's just living out what the gospel already said we're supposed to be doing, amen? Our mission, reconciliation, one umbrella, one tribe, one voice, one heartbeat, one river cutting through any nation, any country, any state that we go through where the world takes notice of what the unified body of Christ looks like. This was the heartbeat of Jesus on his knees. Father, that they would be one as we are one. Why? Because the whole world gets to notice when the church comes together as one body of Christ. So my question today, church, as we close out is this. Are you unified more than just on a Sunday morning experience? Not, look, this is great, 
this is an encouragement time. But are you unified with the body of Christ? And I'm not just talking about it in, in this church. I'm talking about when we go out of these doors, man, we're partnering with brothers and sisters in Christ all over, and we're changing the scope of our landscape. We're streams flowing into one another, creating a mighty rushing river. Because I believe that when we do that, the power of God is coming. And when we do that and the power of God comes, we will change our culture. And people will come to see the love of the Father in their life. Will you guys close your eyes and pray with me today? Father God, I know that right now in this room, Jesus, we're wrestling with what this looks like. But God, I'm praying that you would bring a people, no longer God, from our own individual tribes, but a people all under one umbrella, and that is Jesus Christ, that you've saved us, you've redeemed us, you've given us a name, and that name is under your name, and that name calls us sons and daughters of the God Most High. And so today, God, I pray that we would be just like that village in Rwanda, that reconciliation village, that, God, we would come side by side with one another, streams of life that are flowing into one another to create a mighty rushing river, and that everywhere we go as your church, God, we would bring the power of Jesus with us, and that people that are broken, people that are wounded, people that are struggling, people that are hurting, people with no hope would come in to see the saving, redeeming, loving, life-giving Father that you are, that we would become one as you and God are one. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen and amen. Will you guys stand? We're going to close.